Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Today I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. That was Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Good morning, great church. Man, is it ever good to be with you all this morning and to be able to worship, and it's just been a delight already. And uh, what a blessing it is uh, to have a church family. Isn't it a wonderful blessing? This week, and uh, just thinking about Brother Hillary, for those of you that don't know Brother Hillary Broom, he was my second youth minister. He was one of our former associate youth ministers here, uh, who has been a, just a great man of God and a great... Uh, brother over the years, and I don't know, when I think about heart transplants, that just blows my mind that anybody ever figured out how to do that. I mean, the, not only the heart itself and the vessels, but the nerves and all this, that's just amazing. But praise God. But I bring that up just to say, you know, what we have been blessed to be able to discover, to discover as human beings scientifically in order to, you know, improve our health, prolong our lives, and those sorts of things, these are just you know, the, the, the fringes of the garment of what God is capable of. And so always remember, you know, don't just, don't just pray for the doctors that they'll be able to do good stuff, although pray for that. But just when you're praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for God to heal them himself and to do more than the doctors are able to do because he can. And uh, isn't it wonderful to have that kind of faith in our God and our Father and our Holy Spirit and our Lord Jesus uh, that we don't go through life's health problems alone. We go through them with the aid of the great physician. What a blessing that is. Well, uh, this morning, this is the, my last Sunday uh, to preach in the year of our Lord, 2022. I do want to invite everyone to make it your business uh, to be here for AM worship on the Lord's Day, December 25th. Our youth minister, Brother Sean Clark, will be bringing a message. I think he said he's going to say something about giving, which I have no idea. Was that what you said? Yeah. No, never mind. That's not, that's not what he uh, is going to talk about at all. Never mind. Uh, I don't know what he's going to talk about, <laughs> even though he did send me a text about it. But I obviously got that twisted in my mind. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, just uh, we will have no 6 p.m. service, but we will be worshiping in the morning. And Christmas Day is no reason not to gather with the saints and to worship God uh, as we are commanded to in Scripture on the first day of the week. I'll be here even though I'm not preaching, so I hope to see you here as well. And hey, if you've got family or friends that are going to be at your house on Christmas Day that uh, may not get the Word of God ably preached sometime, it would be a fantastic opportunity to say, hey, as part of our uh, family time on Christmas Day, let's all go to church together and give them an opportunity to hear the gospel. 
and you can make Christmas Day into the evangelistic thing that it ought to be, in my opinion, so keep that in mind. So we bring uh, our part of our theme in 2022 to a close. We've talked all year long about the fact that we are the church in a variety of different ways. And today we bring this to, this to a close by bringing our final series of the year to a close, our series entitled One, taken from Ephesians verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And today uh, we're going to talk about our one God and Father. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, the Bible says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, what the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is saying in this passage when he says there is one God and Father over all, above all, through all, in you all. He's saying that, that is the, this is the one. He is the one. He is the only God and Father. He is the same. And so we're stressing the oneness of our God and Father, the fact that he is the one and the only one. And we're also expressing that he is the same God and Father of us all. And so there is a doctrinal fact, a truth that is being communicated here. And there is also an application of that truth in this context to us. Because there is only one God and Father of all, who is through all, over all, in all, then all are connected in this important way. And it's a very, very central truth to the context here of Ephesians chapter 4. And so, one God and Father, the truth that there is one God and Father is one of the most important bases, bases of unity. All right, now let me say a couple of things because of the world we live in today. Even though motherhood, listen to me, even though motherhood is in fact derived from the nature of God, just as fatherhood is, we do not refer to God as our mother. And of course, there are some folks who want to do that today, but that is unbiblical. God has never referred to himself as a mother, even though, again, it's not an insult to motherhood. Male and female, all of human nature are derived fully from the nature of God. All right? And so even though that is true, God has revealed himself to us as our father. And so we refer to him as our father, as he as him. And those are things that are not open for debate. They're not open for compromise. And as there are folks that, are, that have continued to apostatize or leave the faith in our current generation, this is one of those things that you're sometimes going to hear people violate. And that, of course, violates one of the ones of true religion, one of the seven. And so if you depart from these seven, brothers and sisters, I'm not saying, nor is Paul saying in this context, that these are the only things that matter. But they certainly are fundamental things that matter and major things that matter. You cannot compromise on the seven wands of true religion and continue to be a Christian who is sound in the faith. It is not possible. These are absolutely essential doctrines of the faith. And so in this highly secular post-Christian world, we too easily forget that every person's accountability to their one and only and same creator God is our primary point of connection. And I don't have time to develop that as much as I would like, except simply to say we need to train ourselves to interact with every single man, woman, and child on this planet that we are ever blessed to be able to interact with as a child of our same God and Father. And we need to learn to recognize whether this child is a son or daughter of disobedience, a child of wrath, a rebel against their father, 
or whether this is a child that is in good standing, obedient, faithful to their father. Because ultimately that is the only thing that will matter on judgment day. And therefore, if we're going to be good brothers and sisters to our fellow human beings, we have to recognize first that they were made in the image of our God according to the will of God the Father and their relationship to Him is, brothers and sisters, it is the, the one, the single and the only thing that has everlasting value or matter at all with regard to our relationship with them. Please keep that in mind. Now, uh, there is a connection that we have. And as, I, as you look at this, it's simple as this. Oftentimes, that chart's used for marriage, you know. Well, there's husband and wife, and they're connected to God. You know, that, that's good, and that's true. But it's broader than that. The fact is, every single one of us as human beings have a responsibility to each other. And certainly, as members of the one body of the church of our Lord, we have a very special responsibility to each other. And each person that we have a responsibility to is connected to God the Father just as much as we are right? And so if I sin against you, well, I'm sinning against someone who is connected to the Father, and therefore I'm sinning against the Father by sinning against his child. If you sin against my child in the flesh, physically speaking, you sin against me. And I know that's true for you as well. If I sin against your child, don't I sin against you? Don't I? Well, you parents know that that's true, all right? I would rather you sin against me than against my children. All right, that's the way that I see things as a father. And I'm sure those of you that are parents are the same way. I'd rather be burned alive than to see my children suffer any kind of great thing in this life. And that, that's just, that is the heart of our God and Father that he allows in some smaller way to exist in those of us that are parents. And I just want to remind you, I'm not delving into this, but remember Psalm 51. Remember Psalm 51? It's the psalm that David wrote in his repentance about the sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah the Hittite, whom he murdered by proxy. Do you remember the line he says in Psalm 51, speaking to God, his father, he says, against you, only against you have I sinned. Now think about that. Had he not sinned against Uriah? Well, of course he had. Had he not sinned against Bathsheba? Certainly he had. But at the end of the day, the greater sin was what he did to the father of Uriah and what he did to the father of Bathsheba and the father of that little firstborn of that union that lost his life because of that sin. And this brings out an extremely important point. And this goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 9. The Noahic covenant, the, God, the covenant that God made with Noah when he and his family came out of the ark. And in Genesis 9, verse 6, he gives us this teaching that has continued to be God's will with regard to justice against those who have murdered their fellow man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made man. And so we see then that this connection between every human being and God that is the most important thing about that human being. And therefore, it is the most important thing about our relationship to each other as human beings. That all of us are made in the likeness of God according to the will of our Heavenly Father. Albert Barnes, the great and venerable commentator that many of you have read his writings, uh, Barnes Notes uh, on the Bible. I love, uh, he does a great job most of the time. This is old, old stuff, but it remains relevant. Here's a quote. Where there were there many gods to be worshipped, 
There could be no more hope of unity than there is among the worshipers of Mammon and Bacchus and all the various other idols that people set up. People who have different pursuits and different objects of supreme affection can be expected to have no union. People who worship many gods cannot hope to be united. Their affections are directed to different objects, and there is no harmony or sympathy of feeling. But where there is one supreme object of attachment, there may be expected to be unity. The children of a family that are devoted to a parent will be united among themselves. And the fact that all Christians have the same great object of worship should constitute a strong bond of union among themselves. Now remember where we are in Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul has completed what we would call the doctrinal section of the letter. In other words, he has communicated truths, facts, about reality, about life, about spiritual life, about our relationship with God. And when we get to Ephesians 4, though there are still doctrinal points that are communicated in the remaining chapters of the letter, the purpose of Paul from that point forward is application. And so the idea that we're supposed to derive is since we have one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, we ought to be one in our relationship with Him. We ought to have a spiritual unity because of this divine parenthood that we share. Now, this does not mean that, there, that Jesus is not God. When we say there's only one God and Father, Paul is by no means saying that Jesus is not also God the Son, nor is he saying that the Spirit is not God the Holy Spirit. But he is focusing on the position that the Father occupies even in divinity, even within the Godhead. God the Father is exalted above the Son and Spirit. Let me repeat that to you lest you miss that. Even in the Godhead, there is order, there is authority, and there's a sense of divine parenthood. Jesus, even before he became man, was eternally the Son of God. Eternally so. God does not change. Read what the prophet Malachi said as he affirmed that truth. He doesn't change. If Jesus became the Son of God at some point, then God changed. Previously, he wasn't the son. Now he is. The Godhead has changed. At the, that God has never changed. Even before he became man, Jesus was eternally proceeding as son from the Father himself. And the Holy Spirit has always proceeded from the Father as the expression of his spirit, always and eternally. There has been Father, Son, and Spirit united perfectly in the one God, the one Godhood, the one Godhead, the one deity, however it is you wish to communicate that. All of those mean the same thing. And so, when we see this affirmed in Ephesians 4 through, 4 through 6, we have the Spirit, we have the Lord Jesus, we have God the Father. The Trinity is being affirmed, but something is being said in this context about the roles, the distinct roles of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is, in fact, true and fundamental to the faith that there is one God. There is only one God. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God and only one God. There is and ever has been and only will be one God. That is an absolute fundamental truth of the faith. But this one God is three persons. <laughs> and that being one of the absolute foundations of the whole temple of doctrine uh, just humbles us from the very start. Because the foundation stones upon which all sound doctrine is built, all truth is built, is a truth that it is hard for us to fully understand. And that ought to just, that puts us right where we need to be in our relationship with God and our pursuit of Him. Because from the very beginning when we're pursuing God, we need to recognize He's God and we're not. 
We need to start from a place of humility. And listen, brothers and sisters, there are folks in the world that have gotten too big of an idea about science. And they, they think, well, if something cannot be explained scientifically, I can't accept it as fact. That is just as foolish as it can possibly be. First of all, the whole temple of science is built upon supernatural realities that people can't prove. The law of cause and effect, where'd that come from? How do you explain that scientifically? It's something that is metaphysical. That is, it transcends physical things. It is something that people assumed was the case because it just happens to be the rule of the world that there's no gravity to explain, no thermodynamics to explain. No law of science explains why the whole universe is built upon this idea of cause and effect. It just is. And the reason it is is because it was created by the ultimate cause himself is the uncaused cause. And science cannot contain God. Science is great. I love it. I love that, that, that scientists today, that doctors can transplant a heart from, from another body into a human being so that their lives can be preserved. And that there can be some redemption of, of the loss of one life that can, can provide goodness to another. It's a beautiful thing that science has done. But all science is, is the human observation of the laws that God has put in place to govern this universe. And man, we can measure his outer ways, but you will never put God in a box, not even in a science box. He's too big for that. If you could get your mind fully wrapped around God, you would be God and you're not. It's above your pay grade, man. You'll never be able to fully explain him by science. That said, none of God's ways are unscientific. It's just that science is derived from God, not the other way around. And so uh, we, we should expect from the very beginning that there would be things about God that are beyond our ability to fully grasp. We can get the concept. We can know that they're true. We just can't explain how it is because God is a bigger thing than us. Brothers and sisters, God is a bigger thing than us. And that's how we ought to expect it to be. So yes, Jesus is God, as is the Holy Spirit, but the Father is Jesus is God too. And you will see that borne out in the Gospels as Jesus worships our God, his God, his Father. The God that he himself participates of in, in his essence is nevertheless his God in the person of the Father. The Father is Jesus' God, just as he is our God. And God the Father is the Holy Spirit's God just as he is our God too. And, and so this is the idea that Paul is communicating here in this context. And so God the Father is truly the God and Father of all, of all. He's the God and Father of the Son. He's the God and Father of the Holy Spirit. He's the God and Father of all of the angels, all of the demons, the devil himself. He is the God and Father of all mankind, rich, poor, all ethnicities, all nations, all languages, and in all times and in all ways. Do you get that? There can be no more fundamental truth than that. And if you do not grasp this truth, and if your life is not built upon this truth, your life is built upon a rotten walkway, and one of these days you will fall through the broken planks. This is the building block of reality. And if your life is not built upon this truth, you are in a fantasy world. You're living in a castle in the sky. It has no foundation, and one day, my friend, it will fall to the earth. 
And you need to keep this truth in mind. And so when we think about one God and Father, we all share the same God and therefore should all be one in perfect unity. I want to draw your attention to the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus, which we find in the book of John chapter 17. And I'm going to look at this passage again this evening at 6 p.m., by the way, with a different purpose. Well, a similar purpose in mind, but a little nuanced difference. But this morning, let's look at verses 10 and 11. And then we'll skip down to verses 20 through 23. I'm reading from the New King James translation. Now Jesus is praying. This is the night in which he's betrayed. He's praying the high priestly prayer before Judas comes and finds him there in the garden and betrays him with a kiss. Verses 10 and 11 of John 17. And all are mine. All mine are yours. Jesus praying to God the Father. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. You notice that? Now verses 20 through 23. I do not pray for these alone. That is the 11 that were with him there in the garden of Gethsemane. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Brothers and sisters, that's all of us. And that's our brothers and sisters all over the world today. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. You know, when we talk about the seven ones of true religion, our purpose is not to divide. Brothers and sisters, please listen and understand this. Our purpose is not primarily to build a box around us and say, by these seven ones, we recognize our boundaries and we're happy to say that there are many, many people that fall outside of those boundaries and they are not our brethren, they're not our family in Christ, they're not with us and all those sorts of things. Now, that is true. That is true. But the purpose of this passage is not to further distance ourselves from those that have been misled with regard to the truth. The purpose of these seven ones are as the church to continue to communicate amongst ourselves that we might be bound more perfectly together in union ourselves so that we would not further divide and so that we might develop in Christ by the Holy Spirit according to the will of our God and Father a deep loving unity, a sense of family bond so that we can not only maintain the unity we have, which we'll talk about tonight, the first three verses of Ephesians 4, that not only will we maintain the unity that we have, but that we will do just as Jesus said here in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, that we will present this oneness to the world in such a way that many people who are now living their lives outside of that line, across the line, outside of that box of the seven ones of true religion, that they will see the unity that we have in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the family love that that creates here amongst us as his people, and they will want to step over that line and say, I'm going to become a part of this one body that you all are part of, and to partake in the nature and to receive the love and blessings of the one Father that you all worship and serve. That is our intention. And brothers and sisters, you may think that that is a subtle and slight difference. It is no such thing. It is just as big a difference as you can possibly imagine. And I wish I could go into that further. 
But the text here in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says that this one God and Father is above all. He is above all. And that means he is supreme. It means he is sovereign. That word sovereign there um, reminds some of us at least of controversy within Christendom. You know, all of the different soteriological ideas, Calvinism, Arminianism, Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, Augustinism, you know, uh, whatever different ism is out there to explain how salvation works. Uh, Brothers and sisters, um, God is sovereign in every way over every single thing, even over human free will. And there is no denying that one must want to serve God and that every person who is in a saved relationship with their God has chosen to be so, but even that choice was given to you as an option by the will of your Father. He is sovereign over every single thing and every single person. There is no place, no way, shape, form, or fashion that the rule of God the Father does not oversee everything that is, ever has been, or ever will be, or that ever happens. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are saved today, if you're part of the one body, the body of Christ today, you are here because God drew you here, because God gave you the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus, because God worked in your life to create in you a will that would enable you to receive that gospel, so that as you sit here in a saved condition today, you dare not do so in any kind of arrogance, thinking somehow I have saved myself, for you have not saved yourself. You have been saved by the will of your heavenly Father, and it is to him alone that the praise and thanksgiving is due. I don't know why I am what I am, except that the will of God has fashioned me into what I am except for my faults. And the faults alone are the place that my free will continues to exist, unsubmissive to the will of my Father. And it is the role of every single child of God to continue throughout life, no matter how long you live, to subdue our wills. So that we no longer live by the free will of an individual that is not tethered to God, but that we sublimate our free wills to the will of God so that his will alone reigns in us, lives in us, so that God truly is, as Paul says, above all, through all, and in you all. He pervades universal nature. His agency is seen everywhere, and there is no one whose heart is hidden from his full knowledge and power, and he dwells in us, particularly those of us who have been baptized into Christ. These are the truths about the nature of our God and Father. I still remember the moment, not just the day, not just the age. I still remember the moment when I first came to know the Lord in the biblical sense of that word, when I first realized that that I was not alone in my mind that I did not have my thoughts to myself, but that God was also in my thoughts and that he knew at that very moment what I was thinking. And thankfully, I have never been free from the presence of God from that day until now. And it is absolutely the best thing about life. It is the best thing about life that we are never alone, not even in our thoughts, Praise God. And so this morning, I want to draw our attention to, again, the chiastic structure that we've 
talked about, especially last week and this week, that uh, poetic organization of Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, where we have the seven wands of true religion, and they're ordered in this sort of Hebrew parallelism, where each of the six of these uh, qualities here of these wands are paralleled with one of the other. And the seventh, of course, is Jesus, our Lord himself, who is the crux of everything that God has done. He, he is the aim of everything that God has done. The outcome, the source, he is right there in the middle. Everything revolves around Jesus that God has ever done. He is the one Lord. When we think about this one God who is over all and through all and in all, that truth is paralleled with there being one body. That's the parallel. And that I find to be a very fascinating parallel. And I want to make sure that we understand why the Apostle Paul parallels the church and God the Father in this context. Because certainly we can think of ways where the church might uh, be paralleled with the Spirit. We can think of ways certainly where the church would be paralleled with Christ. It is the body of Christ and we emphasize that in the first lesson in this series. But Paul by the Holy Spirit here inspired, he, he, he compares the church to God the Father. And I think there's a very important truth that we're called to recognize in so doing. I like to make charts sometimes, y'all know. And so I made this little chart, which may or may not be helpful, but it certainly helps me to picture this in my mind. Just kind of this circle of family that we live in as the church of our Lord and as of his people. These are the seven ones of true religion, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And I want you to recognize that there are all three of these levels that lead to the heart of the matter are two of these ones that sort of join hands and connect and bind themselves together to further envelop us in this, in this multi-layered protection and blessing of family that we enjoy. Listen, brothers and sisters, being members of the church of Christ, we have been enveloped, listen, we have been enveloped in the love of God. We have been enclosed in the grace of God. We have been wrapped up and tied up in the generosity, the, the forgiveness of God, the hope that God provides, everything good about God, we are wrapped up in that and sealed up in that in multiple layers, multiple concentric circles with Jesus, our sacrifice, right there in the middle of it. Brothers and sisters, it is true that the one thing that is the most important bond of all between every single human being that lives on the planet is the fact that we all exist because of the will of the whole Godhead in unity. But the origin of that will, of that desire, is God the Father himself. Jesus is the word of God, the demonstration of God. He communicates God. The Spirit is the agent of God's power. The active force of God, not impersonal force, but the being, the person who actively enforces God's will upon material creation. The will itself is God the Father's. You're in Christ because the Spirit has worked on you, your mind, through the communication of the word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. That word that, that is God breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Acts 17, 30 and 31. So you're in the body of Christ because of the work of the Holy Spirit upon your spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't work apart 
from the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection. The truth of the gospel is the message that the Holy Spirit sees to it is spread throughout the world. The message that the Holy Spirit has inspired on the pages of the Bible. And so you're in Christ if you are a Christian today. You're in the church because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You're in Christ today centrally because of your Lord Jesus and what he has done for you in being your living sacrifice. Your high priest, the intercession between you and the Father is through him. But brothers and sisters, none of that would, happen, would have happened at all had it not been the will of your God and your Father. There is only a church of Christ because there is a Father of Christ. There is only a church of God because the Father of Jesus, His God and ours has willed all of this to be from all eternity. My friend that lives in my neighborhood, my fellow citizen of the city that lives across town, the person with whom I engage in business sometime during the week who is outside of Christ, who is not in the church of our Lord, there's a connection between me and that person. The same thing is true for you and those people in your life. There's a connection there because they are created in God's image just as I am, but, but they're not in his family. They're not in his family. And that's a very dangerous delineation. It separates us. Yes, God the Father is responsible for creating every human being in his likeness. But it is only those who look to him as God and Father and will submit to him as the head, ultimately, even over Christ, of the divine family. There's only those that are truly in the family of God. And so we ought not to think about the body of Christ without recognizing that it is the will of the Father that it even exists. And it is through Jesus that we have access to his God and our God, the universal father of us all. And we ought to worship him in spirit and in truth. It is because of our God, brothers and sisters, that we're family. He binds us together. Not our compatibility or compatibility. <laughs> Not our personalities. We gel with each other. And these people are just, man, I just see things so much the same way that they... None of those things that, that humans, you know, decide make us compatible are the bases for our relationship together in Christ or the motivation for our unity in Christ. Man, we can be just as different as day and night in our personality personalities and our talents and our giftedness. At the end of the day, we have one Father, and therefore we are family. And that's the truth of this passage, and it's a glorious one. And we've got to live it out, brothers and sisters. And so what these truths look like in practice is that we recognize the fundamental of all fundamentals of the faith. Theology is the father of all philosophies and sciences. The first thing the missionaries preached to the ancient world was one God and Father. Go read Acts 14. Go read Acts 17 and see when Paul came to the heathens what he preached first. One God and Father who sent his son Jesus to save us from our sins. Isn't that beautiful? Let's preach the way Paul preached because we live in a heathen nation nowadays. We sure do. One God and Father. What these truths look like in practice, we are monotheists. Just because our Muslim friends and our 
conservative Jewish friends don't understand the nature of the Godhead doesn't mean that they can tell us we're polytheists. We're not. We worship the one God. We simply understand this one God in a way that they've yet to come to terms with. The complexity of his nature as has been revealed through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. He is both imminent, that means near and, and close and, and even within, and he is transcendent, which means he passes through and beyond and he's uncontainable, and thus he is the object of our wonder. God is, is beyond comprehension. That's the point. You cannot fully comprehend God, and you never will fully comprehend. A billion years into eternity, you're still going to be coming to terms with, with new things about God that you never even conceived as possible before. That's the transcendent nature of our God. But he has condescended to our level. He has made himself imminent so that he is also close to us, relational to us, with us, within us, constantly. And that's why we both worship him in awe. And we love him. We love him so much. We love him so deeply. His love fills us and pervades us if we have actually grasped to the fullest of even practical human ability to grasp what the word God means and what it means to have him as father. What these truths look like in practice Brothers and sisters and friends, everything, literally everything that exists is from, for, to, and in the one true and living God. And therefore everything, again, literally everything, properly stood, properly understood in relation to the Father, ought to unify and be unified in him. Should the nations be Christian? Is God the Father, the one God and Father who is over all and through all and in you all? Well, of course. There's nothing in this world that shouldn't be Christian. It all should be. The whole world should be. Brothers and sisters, it had better be the case that we are, because that is the world's only hope of ever coming to know their one God and Father. There's no other to get, no other to follow, no other to obey, no other to know. Brothers and sisters, those are the ones, the seven ones of true religion. And I say to you, in God's love, in the love of our Father today, if you are old enough that you are accountable for your actions, you understand right from wrong, and you know that you've done wrong, you know you've done it according to your own free will, and therefore you know if you stand before the judgment seat of a just God, you're going to have to give an account for those things. You need His grace, not His justice. His justice will destroy you. You need His grace, for His justice is perfect, but man, His grace is perfect too, that is available to you through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to die on the cross for your sins. His blood shed to save you. And if you will confess your name, your, your belief in the name of Jesus, 
If you will make the decision that you're going to give him your life and repentance from now on, you're going to strive to live for him. Today you can obey the commandment to be baptized. The water is ready. The water is warm. You will be united not only with Christ's death, but also his resurrection. The hope of the gospel will be yours, and you can live the rest of this life as a part of the one true family of God. Isn't it beautiful that that's true? There's hope, man, because of the will of our God and Father. And today... If you are a baptized believer following his son, worshiping the Father through Jesus, but you need the prayers of this church, the front pew is always open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.